Um, in your bulletin there, get the juices flowing for this morning, right? This always gets us kind of thinking about where we're headed, what's going on here. So the first question was, would you rather make dinner or do the dishes? And so I think we have the overwhelming majority. we got some cooks in here, or at least want to be cooks. Um, what is your favorite type of spice? I don't know what kind of type of spice you enjoy, you like to cook with, or maybe if you have an herb garden, you know, I don't know what you have in there, or maybe you don't care, I don't know. Um, but believe it or not, that's in the passage. And then the bonus question. What is one thing that Jesus himself is not very tolerant about? He's not very tolerant about. You, we might get maybe the idea that Jesus is, you know, loving, meek, mild. Tolerance, kind of the buzzword of the day. So tolerant of maybe everything and all things. But there's one thing that really pushes his buttons. Pushes his buttons. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. Um, so I'm going to warn you from the outset. There's a disclaimer. Okay, there's a disclaimer. Only at, only at CC Nagi are we going to get disclaimers before we open the Bible. Um, the disclaimer is, we can't really read just part of chapter 23, because then it, it, it's like a cliffhanger. It like leaves you in the middle somewhere, and it, I don't think it's real helpful. So, we will read through the whole thing one time together. It's a few verses, okay? So that's the disclaimer. So if you can just kind of hold out through that, I promise um, I have tried to do my best to um, just kind of get a sense of what God wants to pull out of it and just like have practical for us. You know, so, um, so that's what we're going to do. So we read through it. Um, you might get lost in there somewhere. It's okay. I was talking with Julie about it yesterday. She was a really big help. Um, we were driving, doing some party uh, stuff yesterday for friends and, uh, you know, little kid birthday parties. And those are insane. Um, but uh, we were driving on the way there and I was like, babe, you know, just... You know, take, take a look at this chapter. You know, I had some of my, some of my stuff with me. And uh, she read through it. And I was like, can you just read out loud? And uh, she, her first question is, how long is it? You know? so, uh, so she reads the whole thing out loud. And um, I'm like, just give me some initial thoughts. You know, initial ideas. Just anything. There's no wrong answer. You know, just tell me. She's like, that was a lot of stuff. She's like, I, I don't even know. What. So don't feel bad. If you read through the whole thing and you miss some stuff, like, that's okay. We'll try and tie it together. Um, if I had a choice and we weren't uh, a church really committed to go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I probably wouldn't even do it uh, just because it's, uh, it's more work to deal with. But there's good stuff in there. There's good stuff in there. And it's the Word of God and we're like commanded to know the Word of God because it helps us grow, helps renew our mind, helps transform us, help us uh, to better understand God's will. Right? So that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Okay, so let's check it out. Matthew 23. Disclaimer's over. Here we go. It says, uh, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. So there's a big crowd there. There's lots of people. There's a lot of um, things that have just happened. And Jesus is about to go to the cross. So he's a very popular figure right now. Um, not, I guess, uh, in a good way. Um, they want to kill him. Um, so there's a lot of people around. So verse 2 says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. said, So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they don't practice what they preach. Nice label for these guys. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So Jesus is going to kind of sound off on these guys pretty soon here. Verse 5. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their... And when I was reading with Julie, she's like, what's this P word? Uh, they make their phylacteries. Everybody say phylacteries. That's a new one, right? They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. So Jesus, verse 8, says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. All right, what is that all about? We'll, we'll try and talk about some of that. The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So now he gets into the woes. Everybody say, Whoa! Whoa. Whoa, whoa is like a word for warning, warning, warning. So, verse 13 here. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now he's name calling. 
You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying, who are trying to. Verse 15, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. He is just laying it on here. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, uh, it means nothing, uh, but if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men. He's just going here. Which is greater, uh, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Uh, therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law. He is just giving it to everybody right now. And Pharisees, you hypocrites. That word comes up a lot, right? You give a tenth of your spices. There's your spices. Mint, dill, and cumin. Which you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites, you build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, If we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you're descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers. And now he just is like, he goes even further. What is Jesus doing? Verse 33. You snakes, you brutal vipers. These are not nice names. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Wow. Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this is going to happen to this generation. And here we come to a close here. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone go, <sighs> Yeah. That's a lot, right? There's a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, you get this idea and sense that Jesus is just, Whoa, who is this guy? You know, this seems very, very different. Um, and it, it might even be uh, the idea that maybe he's mad or angry, and, um, and I think he probably is, but then he closes up with a change of emotion where he says, you know, as a mother, you know, gathers, you know, her chicks, I wish, you know, I could have, you know, with you. It, man, I've tried everything just to, and you guys just said no. You just kept saying no. Um, so, as far as Jesus goes in this passage, right, he's just about to get crucified. Uh, he's done the whole um, ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, Hosanna in the highest, the palm trees thing. He's gone to the temple for the second time, cleared it out. They asked him lots of difficult questions. He gave them answers that they couldn't deal with, which made them more mad. Um, and then now he gives really his last, this is really his last kind of speech or message. 
and uh, he, he just sounds off on them. And uh, it does seem like he's being really intolerant, um, and really he is. Um, he's being really intolerant about people who are in a position that are supposed to be representing God and are doing so irresponsibly. He has very little patience for that. Especially when the people know what they're doing and they're intentionally trying to do wrong. Intentionally trying to make people feel guilty. Intentionally trying to beat them down so they don't feel good enough. Jesus does not like that. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You are misrepresenting my Father and you're doing it on purpose. And here's all the things that go wrong that are with it. And the worst part is they're doing it intentional. He's calling them hypocrites. It'd be nice if you're Jesus to where you could hold that trump card. Uh, because maybe if we said something like that to somebody, well, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But then when you're Jesus, you know, you can actually see into their hearts and see their motivation and see what's actually driving to them to what they're doing. And then he just calls them right out on it. It'd be nice to have that. I think I'd abuse it, though. You might abuse it, too. You know. So, for us, though, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I certainly don't expect you to just like, hey, we read it, got it, good. We'll see you next Sunday. Now, really, like, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of references to strange things. Um, but I just wanted to pull out a few things that might be helpful for us. And so, uh, so Julie asked me, she goes, so, Jared, like, um, what are we going to do with that on Sunday morning? It's like, what's the overall maybe dominant theme, our central focus for the morning, taking out a passage like that with all those verses? Well, our central idea this morning, the main theme that we're going to look at, um, which we have up here too, and I think I left it blank in your bulletin so you could write it down in case you forget. Um, this passage really focuses on learning what a Christian is not. When we take a look at this passage, and we see how Jesus is responding to these guys, we can very clearly get a really good picture as far as what a Christian is not. Like what a Christian should not do. What a Christ follower or a God follower um, really should not do. And when we look at some of those things, it could be helpful for us, because it could be like a litmus test. For us, we can kind of look through that as a prism and kind of evaluate our own lives and see where we stand. Um, or if we have good, trustworthy friends or spouses, we could also ask them to like, hey, how do I stand on these things? Um, you know, hopefully you won't get beat down with that one. That's why I say trustworthy friends and trustworthy spouses. Maybe they could help with that. But learning what a Christian is not. And I think there's a lot of value to maybe have that conversation and at least look at it. Because uh, I think the current stat right now is there's something around uh, 2 billion Christians on the planet. Uh, I, I know I have lots of friends and maybe you have lots of friends that have met people oh I'm a Christian you know, I'm a Christian and it could be radically different stuff so like what are we talking about here um, what does that even mean you know what does that look like well we get an insight to some of that based on what Jesus is talking about to these religious leaders so let's take a look at the first part a few thoughts here here's uh, the first one and I think I have yeah there's a blank there. Sometimes the blanks help out. Um, it's always funny sometimes when I get like a call or email later in the week and I forgot to do a blank and they're like, what was that third blank? You never did it. You know, there's like the fill in the blank Nazis that want to make sure that they, uh, they get the blanks for me. Uh, but it's my fault for not doing it. So, but it's funny because it's good. It helps, helps keep me accountable too. So here we go. The first thought. Right? So overall theme is learning what a Christian is not. Learning what a Christian should not do. Now, here's some thoughts that kind of weave into that. So, here's the first one. The Christian strives not to send mixed messages. So, that's your first point there. The Christian strives not to send mixed messages. That was the big indictment on these guys. So, if you go back to your passage, Matthew 23, um, verse 3 and 4 there. Um, so, the way Jesus would describe these guys is he would say, you know what? Uh, don't do what they do. Um, for they don't practice what they preach. So that's not like a compliment. Man, that would just be so horrible if that could be said, you know, of me or of us. Hey, whatever they're saying, that's great, but like, don't do what they do. Um, 
So they're sending these mixed messages where they're kind of maybe saying some of the right things. And they've been placed in a position where they're supposed to explain um, God's uh, intentions and explain how people are supposed to live. But they wouldn't model it or do it themselves. So, to contrast that, a Christian, when we're serious about Christ... A Christian does realize that integrity a Christian does realize that integrity is critical to Christian character. We realize as Christians we don't want to send mixed messages. It's very difficult. Um, and I think of uh, you know friends that I know, maybe friends that you know who maybe you know say they're Christian and uh, you know man, you know some of the decisions they make or some of the people that you know, maybe they hang out with and maybe some of the books that they read or some of the things like, you know, maybe that they listen to. Uh, you know, it's very strange. It seems like a mixed, you know, message. Um, and hopefully, we're the type of Christians, the type of people that would like um, not cast judgment right away, but maybe would dig a little bit deeper and figure out, you know, hey, what are they listening to? Why listen to that? You know, what is that all about? And, um, just try and figure it out, you know. Um, it's unfortunate many times when the Christians just come across real heavy-handed and real hard, and they judge and say, "Oh, you know, you can't do that." Um, but is that what Jesus did in this passage? Here? Did he just come across heavy-handed, you know, and just you know hit them hard? Um, not exactly. He's been with them for three years now, hung out with them, got to know them, had dinner at their houses, um, got to know uh, some of their families. Uh, so he knew them pretty well. So it's not like he just lost his mind. He, he's been watching and been observing and been in their lives and been learning about these people. And it's my hope and prayer that, like, you know, part of our church family, part of our church, we would be known as the Christians that, man, we don't cast judgment right away. We might under, not understand things right away. Or maybe something maybe might offend us maybe kind of right away. But what we really care about is we really care about getting to know the person and the heart behind the person. Because it's so true, the saying that uh, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. There's a lot of truth to that. Most people don't really want to be preached at, but maybe they want to have a conversation if they really think that I love them and care about them. right? And so when we're sending mixed messages, like these guys are, it just it messes everything up, makes it very complicated, very difficult. And integrity is like a really big word for the Christian, right? A Christian does realize that integrity is critical to Christian character. So integrity, uh, I guess the easy layman's uh, term definition is integrity is who you are when nobody else is around. That's really what integrity is. Who you are when nobody else is around or nobody else is watching, that's what integrity is. And so the question is, am I the same person you know, so you see me now. You see Jared, you know, right now. You know, Sunday mornings a lot of times, you know, talking about the Word and, you know, breaking stuff down and doing this. But, you know, how am I at home? You know, how am I with uh, Jaren, Judson, Julie? Um, feel free to ask Julie, you know. <laughs> I don't know uh, what answers you might get on what days. But um, I, I also know a good... Uh, a fair amount of pastor friends, you know, that, man, they, they, can, they, they just come up there and they are, they're gifted speakers. They're good orators. They can break down the word really well. And then it's like, the relationship with their spouse is like, I, I don't think they talk about anything. You know, and they're like, kind of like removed from their kid's life and not really involved, you know, with the decisions that their kids are going through and what's going on. And it's like, it's kind of a mixed message. There's no wonder a lot of times the PKs or the preacher kids, you know, kind of go off and do kind of these random things all over, you know, if maybe dad was just so consumed with the church family and missing out on his own family. So a Christian does realize that integrity is critical to Christian character. Um, Hopefully us as Christians, right, what we want to do is we want to hold integrity high. 
And the way that we do that is we really place a high value and a high sense of emphasis on who we are when we have our downtime or our unplugged time or when we're alone. Whatever we're doing during that time, that says a lot about us. I'm tempted to watch sports. Um, I'm tempted to catch up on chores that I'm probably way behind on. Um, And those aren't necessarily bad things. But if those things constantly dominate my own personal time, which, you know, there's not much of that these days, and I expect there won't be for a long time. But if I let a lot of that dominate that, uh, I'm going to become out of line and kind of out of focus. It's not going to be... It's not going to be good for me. It's not going to be good for my family and whatever God really wants to do through me. So integrity is crucial. The problem with integrity is nobody else is around. Um, And so like these guys, they really only performed when other people were around. So that's one thought, one idea that I pulled out of that that hopefully is helpful is that the Christian, hopefully we're striving not to send mixed messages. Hopefully what we're saying and where we go and who we hang out with all lines up. And it's not a mixed message. So here's the next thought. Here's the next one. Um, A Christian is not motivated externally. Is not motivated externally. Look at verse 5. Here's the label. Here's the problem with these guys. The uh, religious uh, teachers and the Pharisees and stuff. Verse 5. It says, Everything they do is done for men to see. Wow, huge flag going off there, big time red light. Everything they do is done for men to see. To contrast that thought, right, that's what a Christian really shouldn't do. I shouldn't be motivated by what people are going to see and what's going to happen. And you saw from our passage, they love their phylacteries, or we said phylacteries. And a phylactery was a box um, that they would wear on their forehead and it had scriptures in it. And the reason why they would do that is because in Deuteronomy it says um, when you're walking and going around and when you're living, um, bind these on your foreheads, put them on your door frames of your house and teach them to your children. And so they would take that literally and they would get a box and stick it on their foreheads. And uh, theirs of course was nice and big elaborate and detailed and everybody saw it because they need to know how holy they are. And they're um, their tassels were very nice and very long and everybody knew when they were coming and they loved to be um, recognized by title. So uh, that's who these people were. That's, uh, they were kind of consumed by that. And uh, that's one thing uh, that scares me a lot about our day and age is because we live in the age of entertainment and TV and internet and Twitter and Facebook and it all screams, look at me. Look at me. And some people, that's just, look at me. Look at me, look at me. You know, my, just draw attention to it. And I'm not saying I'm anti-Facebook or Twitter or anything, because I use it all the time. And I, you know, look at Jaron, look at Judson, you know. So I, I do. I, I put stuff on there and enjoy it. Um, but uh, the problem, right, comes in is when it creeps into the spiritual life. And it's like, I'm only serious about God if other people are around or noticing or if I get credit for it in some way. Right? That was the problem that they were dealing with. Because it's true, sometimes when we take leaps of faith, or risks of faith, we really put ourselves out there. Sometimes that gets the spotlight on us. And I'm not saying that that's bad, and I don't think Jesus would say that that's bad. The spotlight then comes on us sometimes if we, take, we really take a step out. I don't know about, you know, I feel... And then sometimes the spotlight get, comes on us. But then what we do with that, right, that's like the issue that we have to work out and we have to deal with. So to contrast that, right, a Christian is not motivated externally. A Christian is committed to an audience of one. I'm just committed to one audience. As a Christian, as a believer, as a Christ follower, right, we are committed to an audience of one. There's only one that really matters. There's only one that I gave my heart and soul to because he paid for mine on a cross. And you know what? A lot of what I do and a lot of what I say and a lot of what happens in my life will never get seen 
And that's all the better for it. The struggle is trying to put my flesh, our flesh under and not like get maybe people to draw attention to that in an unhealthy way. Like sometimes I, I, you know, so I said, you know, Jim and Sheila are leaving. You know, Jim helped, Jim's been helping out AV and stuff and Sheila's been helping out too in the nursery. Like I purposely put them out there. I drew attention to them. Um, but I think it's okay because they don't go around telling, sharing everyone, hey, look what I do. Hey, did you see what I did? Hey, did you see that over there? Hey, this over here. Hey, did you know about this? You know, like, that doesn't happen. They're just here just to serve. That's just it. And you guys, you know, might not know about it. So I want you to know that, hey, there's other people in here, you know, serving alongside with you too. But it's like, it gets weird sometimes when you draw a lot of attention uh, to it. So that was the second thought. A Christian is not motivated externally. A Christian is committed to an audience of one. I remember I was telling you that Julie was helping me out with the passage. Um, One thing that she said stuck out to her that she remembered as she read. She's like, I really don't like, uh, you know, the reverends and the pastor ministers that are, the title is just incredibly important. And if you don't refer to them that way, it's a big issue. Um, Because in some of her background, like, that's been a thing where as soon as the pastor steps on the scene you know it's like well you do this you know you do that you do this and you do that and it's very authoritative and like Fidel Castro like you know where it's just bark out the orders and then that's just like what you do you know so that was one thing you know that stuck out to her where hey recognize who I am and then do what I say that's the way these guys were right as Christians we're not called to do that man what we're called to do is I'm called to wash your feet Look at your neighbor and say, I'm called to wash your feet. Go ahead, seriously, do it. Yes. Yes. That's like how we do it. That's how we do it. Because that's what he says. Um, That's what servant leadership is. We're called to wash each other's feet. That's not so sexy. That's not so fun. You don't get a lot of good spotlight on that. But that's what we're called to do. Right? That's what the Christians should be known for. Man, they are just filled with grace and love. And when they come, when somebody comes at them, maybe with uh, bitterness or with anger um, or with uh, hardship, we just don't knee-jerk retaliate and come harder. We're filled with this grace and love from God that doesn't come from us and comes from somewhere else and respond in a way that's like, it doesn't even make sense to them. That's the hope for the Christian, right? That's us. Because we are committed to an audience of one. God, I just want to serve you, live for you, glorify yourself in my life in whatever way possible. I might fight you a lot, but Lord, I know it's right and that's what I want to do. Right? Got to be able to say that and mean it. That's what the Christian wants to be able to do. So here's the third thought. A Christian strives not to major in the minors. A Christian strives not to major in the minors. That's what these guys are doing. Verse 23 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices. So they'd go through their uh, herb cabinet and take out their spices and pat themselves on the back for that. They did their tithe of mint, dill, and cumin. But they neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, he says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You should have been doing both. You blind guide. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Right? So, a Christian strives to uh, not to major in the minors like these guys did. And like, you know, some minors in a Christian circle. Um, Bible translation. People get really weird on Bible translations. And... Uh, I would agree that um, some versions... right? So, so what we have in the Bible here comes from uh, old texts and scrolls that are in different languages and things. And some of the, uh, these, the, the NIV that you have right there, it's not the best, I don't think, personally, but it's kind of good. It fairly uses the, the language of the day. I think some of the NIV messes out on some really cool parts in the Bible. Um, that don't get explained really well because the wording's not right. 
But then there's some parts in like the New King James uh, that I'm like, oh man, that's just this is awkward. Like, don't say it that way. Like the NIV says it really nice. And maybe there's like a mess, like a translation called the Message, which gets kind of wordy sometimes. But sometimes it unveils something pretty nicely. But like, you know, is that a major thing? We're like going to come in and. You know, we check you at the door. Hey, King James only, you know. We get somebody with a King James badge and they stand at the door, you know. And it's, yeah, no King, no, no, no. You know, like, no, that's not. You know, another thing is music. It's a major and a minor. Music can be a touchy subject. Uh, probably shouldn't be a rock concert, you know. Probably shouldn't be a jazz coffee house. Um, it should be like you know, worshiping God where like he's first and foremost. And sometimes it's hymns and sometimes it's quicker and sometimes it's slower and sometimes it's my favorite and sometimes it's not. But uh, some people, some churches get really strange on the music thing. Nope. Gotta be this way. Gotta be this way. It's like, geez, I, I don't know about that. I don't think so. You know? In the Bible, it's got guys that were singing, rejoicing. They used instruments. They would raise their hands. Says in Psalms, they'd raise their hands in the sanctuary. Uh, King David, he came back from a battle. He would dance, you know, after battle and stuff. And sure enough, people were there like, oh, he shouldn't be dancing. You know, he's the king. Like, that's not... That's what they did. That's what they did. So it could be, uh, you know, versions of the Bible, music, dress. Dress could be another thing that's like majoring in the minor, you know. Well, you can only wear your suit to church. Um, we don't have a problem with that here, obviously. Um, but people can get weird with stuff like that, you know. You wear what you wear, you know. And like, hopefully, it doesn't cause somebody else to sin, right? That's not good, right? A girl comes to church and it's like been painted on her. Probably not a good decision to wear that church, you know. But um, you know, guys can do the same thing. But we just want to wear something, you know, hopefully that's comfortable, hopefully that's clean, you know, not stinking somebody out. And just come to church, man. Come to church because it's about God. And that's really a big part of the Calvary Chapel story, is that the Calvary Chapel, uh, you know, what we are, in the 70s, nobody wanted the hippies. Nobody wanted them. Long hair, uh, no shoes, uh, just weird, you know, nobody wanted them. So Calvary Chapel was like, hey, just come in, man. Whatever, you know. Obviously, I'm sure the pastors are thinking, man, they got issues. But you know what? Who cares? Who doesn't? We'll focus on your heart. We'll get your shoes on later. Whatever. Right? Whatever. Don't major in the minors. We can't be like that. Nitpick everything. Like these guys, and you strain at a gnat, and you miss just the big picture. Swallow a camel. We don't want to be guilty of that. A Christian does try to prioritize according to God's priorities. That's how we try and prioritize church and how we handle our lives and, you know, how we choose, uh, you know, who we're going to hang out with and where we're going to spend our money and how we're going to parent our kids and how we're going to spend our time. I try and prioritize those things. That's a, that's a real battle. That word priority, that, that's a tough word. Trying to re- find, like, the right balance in life. There's so many things going on. 24 hours is just not enough. You could even stay up all night. It's still not enough. And uh, prioritizing well is very, very difficult. But the idea is to prioritize according to God's priorities. What does God say is important? What does He say is valuable? What does He say comes first? And then I want to try and model my life after that. It's very tough for me to do that, though, if I have no idea what I think is a priority to God. That's why we need to be in the Word. That's why we need that. Last thought. A Christian strives not to be not a Christian strives not to clean only the scene. A Christian strives not to clean only the scene. Right? This is your last fill in. Christian strives not to clean only the scene. That's the way these guys were. They would only clean the stuff that everybody saw. But yeah, on the inside, well, that was ugly, funky, and gross. Everybody else saw looked amazing looked amazing. And he compared them to uh, dishes, right? So I could have you over my house. Uh, Well, we don't really have nice dishes, but the ones that are kind of nice, I could put out before you. And I'll pour your drink in there, you know, we'll make you some nice food, we'll put it on the plate. But, little do you know, I've never cleaned the inside of those cups. And it's filled with dried-on fruit snacks. 
and old spaghetti sauce and bacteria and mold. Not really good luck, right? So I'm serving you something that maybe looks kind of nice and the food looks nice, that maybe the atmosphere looks nice, maybe I cleaned your house or cleaned my house for you when you came over uh, and everything's looking nice. But then when you get into it, it's gross. And then in fact, when you take part maybe in drinking and eating in it, you get polluted. And now you get stained out of it. And now you're carrying around some funk because of it. Right? Gets contagious. No good. No good. And don't think that just white glove Christianity that looks so nice does not get contagious. It's much, much easier to be part of a church and to be part of a Christian circle. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy. Everybody's got it all together. And we hide all of our stuff under the rug. Because we all have to look nice. Because the nicer we look and the cleaner we are, the more holy we are. Heck no. Heck no. Not the way it goes. Right? Not at all. See, the Christian realizes that we need to be washed. We've got to be clean inside and outside. So we realize we've got to be washed in the Word. So hopefully we're kind of clean on the outside. Hopefully, man, we are pearly white on the inside. Or at least trying to. Striving for. Here's what it says in the Bible. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave before her. You might have seen this right in weddings and stuff. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Right? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Right? What we do, if we're married, right? As husbands, what we do, my job, right, in our family is to wash my wife and my family through the Word. I'm responsible for bringing the Word to my family. And each male who is in a family, in a sense, they're pastor of the family, and they're responsible for bringing the Word to the family, for washing their family through the Word, bringing the Word. Doesn't mean they have every answer. Doesn't mean they have it all together. But it does mean that the man of the house, when he doesn't know the answer to the question, boy, will he go find out. He'll go figure it out. He'll go ask whoever. And then his dad getting the kids in the car, running them off to church. His dad writing all the notes down. His dad soaking it all in. His dad getting up early on Saturdays at 8.30. His dad's got to be there because dad's got to come back home and wash his family through the Word. He's got to bring it back home. Because it starts with the man. I didn't make that up. God made that up. You know, We, we get the lot on that one. So we're called to do. And so, in our personal lives, what happens is when we engage in the Word, when we read the Word, when it takes place in our life, it actually washes and cleans us from the inside. The Bible says it renews our mind. And then it actually enables us an ability to better understand and decipher what God's will is for our lives and where He wants us to go and what He wants us to do. It's hard to have any of that cleansing happen happen if the Word is never really a part. Prayer is good, but you need the Word in there too because the Word shows us how to pray. It's got to be working together. So to summarize... Last slide here. We talked about, you know, what a Christian is not, what a Christian is not, what a Christian is not. And then I tried to contrast it with what a Christian is. So if I could maybe somehow tie it all together simply, and maybe in a sentence, here's what I came up with. Uh, A Christian is committed to a lifestyle of authenticity. Say authenticity. Transparency. Say transparency. And that should say genuineness. Right? So Christian is committed to a lifestyle of authenticity, transparency, and genuineness rather than a life of external show sustained by religious duties. Right? That's what we want to develop in our lives, in our families, and in this church. Man, we just are who we are. We've messed up here. We've messed up there. We're just going to say how it is. 
We're just going to come and repent of that and hopefully not walk into that again. If I've made bad investments with my money in the past, then that's what I've done. Okay. Doesn't define me. God will redeem me. He'll show me how to handle my money. If I've made bad choices with certain areas, then that's just what I've done. And then I'll preach it to my family and kids and whoever's around and say how God redeemed me out of that and how not to do that again. Right? That's what we're called to be. Those kind of people. Because if we just hold on to just all the stuff that God is trying to break and that He's trying to fix and that He's trying to deal with, we just keep it to ourselves, how could we possibly go out and now tell people the good news about how He sets us free and changes everything and breaks every chain? You can't do it. You're just saying nice, inspirational, eloquent things that has no depth and it's like a whitewashed tomb with garbage on the inside. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to do communion. TJ's going to come up and he's uh, going to lead us in communion. So um, he's going to share, I think, a couple of words before we pass it out. Um, hold on to it and then uh, we'll take it all together. So TJ.
my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving ceases. Bye.